0: No matter if you're a utility forester, no matter if you're an arborist or an urban forester or a GIS forester, or I mean, there's all these different titles out there. I mean, I've, I've even met people that were IRS foresters or foresters for banks what? because of property and realty and valuation and all these things. And they literally, the IRS has, has foresters. Like, who? You know, I didn't know that um the fact that the you know the turkey federation is hiring foresters the nature conservancy and land trust is hiring foresters and so for me at the end of the day it's about forest and it's about managing forests and it's about foresters and the benefits that come from it mm-hmm. and and if we can move past all these different things that we feel are what divides us mm-hmm. to actually say that at, at the end of the day forests are important mm-hmm. and that there's a space for folks to talk about the importance of forests and the vast spectrum of what that means is is where you have that critical space to to move a profession forward in the the optics of society.
1: Welcome to the Hardwood Podcast, a program dedicated to sharing ideas, thoughts, and voices of respected professionals in environmental studies that care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They all have lived and have work experiences that add to their outlook and understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we on the Hardware Podcast are committed to sharing the voice as well as making space for others to ponder our dialogues. Terry Baker is a special leader in the forestry world. And I'm very honored to have Terry here on this episode. Terry is the CEO of the Society of American Foresters. Terry is also an alumnus of this very institution and this school particularly, the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Terry lives by a mantra, give people the ability to see the forester for the trees. By that, he means help people to recognize how much is around them and how much is made possible by dedicated forestry professionals who are doing the work to make our world more livable. Terry speaks with wisdom and is one of those people you can feel changing the profession as he speaks. I'm very grateful to have been able to have Terry on the show this week, and I hope you'll enjoy the powerful thoughts he has to share with all of us about what makes forestry so important to the rest of us. And as always, I ask you to send your thoughts and feedback to thomas.easley at yale.edu to let us know if you have ideas of speakers or future topics that we need to cover on the Hardwood Podcast. Thank you, and enjoy Terry Baker's episode. And I'm happy to announce that I'm sitting across from none other than Terry Baker. What's going on, man? How you doing? It's good to see you. Happy to have you, man. Welcome back. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's good to be back. It's good what, to be back. When's the last time you were here?
0: Um, actually, I was here to give a talk, and I'm trying to remember when that was. It was probably about um, two or three years ago, maybe. Okay. Something like that, but I came up for for a day, maybe a day or two. Okay. And um, with the alumni office, and they they actually was actually they had the um, I think I was the first in a speaker series that they the um, alumni they uh, I can't remember what it was called, just basically but um that the alumni board had put together where they wanted professionals to come back and talk to students about their experience as professionals and and how that translated from their their studies here to actually going out into the working world type of thing. So, okay. Uh, so I, I got a chance to kick off that speaker series, which was, which wow. was a huge honor. So yeah.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we're happy to have you. Glad to be here. I only have a couple of questions because I know this is going to be a conversation. All right. Mm. So I'm going to start with the simple one, and then we'll get a little bit more complex. Okay. The simple one is, how'd you get here? And when I say here, <laughs> I actually do mean, I mean CEO of SAF. Not just Yale. How, how did you get here? How did you get to where you are professionally now?
0: Um, well, fortunately, it's not a series of unfortunate events, but it's a series of unexpected events. Okay. This is by far the best way to put it. So, okay. um, so for me, I, I, I'm from a small town in the panhandle of Florida called Mariana. Mm-hmm. Um, and by panhandle, we, we refer to that as L.A., uh, most people think of Los Angeles when I tell them that it's Lower Alabama, Alabama. <laughs> um, and so you just got to realize uh, it's an interesting place geographically. It's very much so the the Deep South, and that's 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 home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in a lot of ways, I had a traditional forester childhood, I guess. And and what I mean by that is, oftentimes when you talk about someone who's who ends up as a forester, it's someone who's grown up in a rural area. They. They may be involved in farming, they you know, go fishing, they go, you know, they go hunting. Mm-hmm. It's all those things where you get the opportunity to experience the outdoors in a way and develop a connection to it that, that resonates with you. And so um, I didn't do a ton of hunting, but definitely did a lot of fishing with my grandfather. He had a small farm and, and so we, we, we did a lot of work on the farm. So it was just like um, we would uh, come home after school and go out and work on his, his farm. And you know, whenever his, his children would buy a home, he had to go farm whatever acreage that came with the house that they bought. It was this whole whole thing that he had, um, and um, and it was that whole concept of it. It wasn't like a production farm. It was like this was for family. He he would grow things that were were solely for you know his his children and and relatives and people in the community, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and probably one of my fondest memories of that it was actually he was one of the last folks. And there are a few that still do, but he's one of the last folks that made sugarcane sh- syrup. So we he would grow cane, sugar cane, uh-huh. go out and harvest it. And he had one of those old grinders that you would, would push the cane stalks through. And that was my job and my brother's job when we were like seven and eight years old. You know, freezing in November, running, running sugar cane through and <laughs> the all the the juice would come out in the pulp and the pulp would get caught on the screen and the juice would fill like a 50 gallon drum. Mm-hmm. And then he would cook that overnight for like a couple of different days and magically he had sugar cane syrup. And, you wonder about my grandfather's health because he put it on everything. Like that was like once, once that time of year came around and he made syrup, it was like it would go on grits, it would go on chicken, it would go, whatever he had, syrup was going on. it. <laughs> um, so it was just one of those things where it's just one of those experiences where you're just you know you're you're out in the elements and and you're sitting there like why am I doing this but mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> in its own forestry connection, you could say it's for the greater good you know and that is having cane syrup on the back end of it mm-hmm. so um, <laughs> yeah so but but even uh, as a as a little kid sneaking little cups of cane juice during that whole mm-hmm. thing which is nothing but pure sugar mm-hmm. was was probably the closest thing to getting high that I probably have ever <laughs> had in my life so. Um, <laughs> It was, it was quite the experience. But, um, but that's that, that background that a lot of foresters have, is that, that connection to, to, to the planet, to the earth, and, and, and you know, that value and that feeling of being a steward and that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I grew up, I had no idea that forestry was a profession. I had no idea it existed, mm-hmm. um, and went through, you know, went through high school and not really quite sure what I was gonna do um, when I graduated. And I'd gone to a few like career fairs and college fairs and mm-hmm. filled out some information cards, and one of them was to Florida A&M University. Mm-hmm. And um, they had, the, of course, the 1890 scholar program, which is focused mm-hmm. on diversity, but they also had a program that the for- U.S. Forest Service had started, which was the MWSI program, the Multicultural Workforce Strategic Initiative program. And um, the liaison at Florida A&M um, reached out to me, mm-hmm. and it was, a, it was an interesting Process So he tried to call me, and of course the number on the card was my home phone number, and my mother's home phone number. So she, he called the house and talked to my mother, and she told him that I wasn't there. and So he somehow convinced her that she should give him the number to where I was working, which was a convenience store. So he calls me at this convenience store at like 9 o'clock at night and says, you know, I've, I've got this opportunity. I mean, basically he was, he was in full, like he was, he was at the end of his recruiting period. And he's like, mm-hmm. it was straight on like, I've got this opportunity. It has a scholarship that goes along with it. Plus you have internships, paid internships during the summer. And, and when you graduate, you actually have a job. And, um, but I need to know your answer by tomorrow morning at, you know, by tomorrow morning at like 10 o'clock. And, um, and so I sat there. <laughs> And, it, you know, looking back, it was one of those moments like, well, are, you know, it was almost like, are you a Nigerian prince? And if I give you the, you know, <laughs> $10,000, I'll get $2 million to deposit it back in my, you know, account. You know, right. it, was, it was just it's such a surreal, you know, conversation being 18 years old and having that conversation at like eight, nine, well, nine o'clock at night. Yeah. And... Um, but the interesting thing was, I mean, I went home and I started to talk to my mother about it. And I really was, I was kind of undecided. I was thinking of going directly into college. I was thinking of possibly going to the military. Uh, mm-hmm. So my family members were in the military. Um, and so the more I thought about it, I was like, this this might be worth a shot. And so I, I gave him a call back the next morning. Um, his name is Ted Willis. He's retired now, but I still keep in touch with him. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and we had a conversation and, and he's like, well, he's like, I can, maybe I can make this a little bit more um, process wise, a little bit more acceptable in that you have the opportunity to, to go work on a national forest that's near you mm-hmm. for this first summer. And if you if you get accepted to Florida a and so this program was a two plus two program. He spent two years mm-hmm. at Florida A&M, 2 years at University of Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually, they had worked out a very interesting Memorandum of Understanding, because you you ended up getting a bachelor's from both universities. Um, yeah. Mm. And 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 Good. part of the trans part of the transfer process was actually you had to complete an associates at FAMU, so you actually graduate with three degrees.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, you had to complete the associates, which allowed you to trans to officially transfer into upper level courses at the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. And but the classes the classes um, both count at both universities, and then you basically end up with three degrees when you graduate. All right now. Um. So. So he'd worked out a deal with the local national forest and said, okay, we're going to, this will be the trial if you, you know, if your summer goes well, um, you get accepted into the Florida A&M, then, then we'll, we'll launch into the scholarship opportunities. Okay. So um, so that's when I found out that I lived within 45 minutes of one of the largest national forests east of the Mississippi, the Apalachicola National Forest. Mm. Um, and so I, I graduated, I'll never forget, I graduated on that Friday night um, and then Monday morning, I was driving forty-five minutes, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, driving over to the Apalachicola in Bristol, Florida, which was ironic, which was interesting because Bristol is literally just the the um, time zone from Central Time to Eastern Time is really kind of funky when you get to Florida, Mm -hmm. and it divides the Panhandle. And Mm -hmm. literally, my hometown is in Central, Bristol is just across the Eastern, Mm -hmm. so I had to leave an extra hour early to get to work on time. Um, And I whoa, wait, what? Yeah, Mm -hmm. wait. You had to leave an so,
1: 45 minutes instead of 45 minutes?
0: Technically, yes. So if my work, if my work day started at 8 o'clock in Bristol, uh-huh. that was 7 o'clock in, in Mariana. And so if I'm driving 45 minutes, I have to get up and leave by 6 o'clock to be there by, because that was 7 o'clock <laughs> Eastern time. And it was literally, you crossed the bridge at the last minute. It was like the last like five miles that you crossed that bridge. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, All right. um, so you know, quite a bit of responsibility on an 18-year-old. Right. Um, so so I get there, and in, in true Forest Service fashion, uh, my supervisor thought I was coming two weeks later. So, um, so that's... To me before too. <laughs> yes. So that's that's always a fun place to start. And so, of course, he's like kind of scrambling, what am I going to do uh, with this new employee who who knows nothing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, the Forest Service that, I, that National Forest in Florida had actually just... Um, completed and printed a forest plan, okay. a revi- forest plan revision. Mm-hmm. And so they, his bright idea, like he's still in the shrink wrap. So like, he's like, here, you can read the forest plan. And, and um, which is literally almost thousands of pages of government um, document. And so uh, that's what I did for two weeks, was read the forest plan. And you know, which seems like cruel and unusual punishment to a, t- to a teenager, but looking back it was extremely helpful because mm-hmm. I didn't know the terminology, I didn't know anything about the Forest Service. I didn't know the, the litany of acronyms that the Forest Service operates off of. And so I had a chance to actually learn all of that as I'm going through this document over the course of a couple of weeks of just reading and reading and pouring through it. Okay. Um, then the funny part of it became, I became the walking forest plan the rest of the summer because the people who even helped write it were like, I forgot what I wrote. Terry, what does the forest plan say about this? And so that became like, my, my little second job over the course of the summer was talking about the forest plan. Um, and uh, so that was, that was, that was a, a big part of my first summer. Um, originally, I was, I was focused on more on botany than forestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went out with a forest botanist who has had a thick southern drawl, and that is not the way you wanna learn scientific names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, when you go to class, you try to say what he said, and people are like, what are you? <laughs> That's not a word that's that's not even Latin. I don't know what that was so um so just all these different like nuances that you that you learn and experience, but um just I just had an amazing summer and I was like this is this I think this is it you know I think yeah. this is this is this is where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing and so um continued on uh interning there on that forest every summer um and as I interned and had a chance to work with other program areas, i actually transition from being uh, focused on botany to focusing on forestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason being was when I worked for the Forest Service and, and was doing a lot of botany work, it was really interesting, but it was, it was very, to a certain extent, it was a bit of a narrow focus. Um, and what I liked about working with the folks in, in forestry and in timber management was that they had to, there was more of an understanding of what everyone did to be successful at your work. And so that ability to, to be a generalist but, but as still a technical specialist was, was really fascinating to me. Um, and so about halfway through my program, I switched from being a, a botany focus to being wanting to focus on forestry as, a, as a, a trainee in the Forest Service and then in my coursework. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I made that transition, but, yeah, just a whole host of interesting stories of things that I did and learned on the Apalachicola National Forest. I've cleaned my fair share of toilets. Um, that is that yeah. is a given, um, mm-hmm. and uh, just met some interesting folks along the way, and, uh, yeah, fought a lot of fires. Um, actually, in the midst of my, my time there, I took um, between, actually, Florida a and and University of Florida, I took a semester off mm-hmm. and spent a, uh, a season with the Asheville Hotshot crew um, out of North Carolina. North Carolina. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was in itself its own experience because um, I wasn't, I mean, I, I played, you know, pickup sports in, in high school and junior high, but then to, to go basically to boot camp, you know, and, and I was telling some folks earlier today, like, you know, it was we worked out six days a week. You know it'd be like an, it'd be a solid hour of different calisthenics and push ups and pull ups and sit ups for about an hour, and then we'd run three to five miles
1: every day mm-hmm. did you have packs on your back too when you did, uh, uh
0: some we not for runs but we okay. we definitely for hikes, hikes we, yeah. we do yeah. we do a lot of like we do a lot of marches and hikes up into the woods but, mm-hmm. and that was for about a month well, that was about four you know four to six weeks before we actually went out on any assignments mm-hmm. there was a bunch of training courses, but before those training courses it was all physical it was all p t yeah. um mm-hmm. So that was that was the first and also the last time I ever ran eleven, well almost twelve miles in my life. Okay. Um, <laughs> first and last, first and last um, but but a great experience even at a really young age. I mean I think I was about twenty years old, and most everyone mm-hmm. else was at least twenty five plus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was interesting being the being the kid on the crew, mm-hmm. um, but uh, just an amazing time. You know, fighting fires and prescribed burning all over the southeast. Mm-hmm. Um, learned a ton and just yeah. It was was a great experience. So, so I had that experience. Um, As I finished, so my uh, the the interesting piece and the first connection actually with Yale, School of Forestry at Yale, was uh, my junior year was when I started my major forestry classes, and that's when I joined the Society of American Foresters. Um, Went to my first SAF annual convention, and that was in Winston Salem, North Carolina.
1: That's So, you know where I was.
0: Yep. Okay. And uh, I remember going to the exhibit hall with a a good friend of mine, and walking through and seeing Yale seeing in the exhibit hall. And I, was, I, th- I thought to myself in that moment, I'm like, what? why in the hell are they here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't know, like I was really, I just started my forestry courses. And so um, that's when I met the director of admissions, uh, Emily okay. McDermott, and, um, and, you know, we just, we ended up literally talking the rest of the afternoon, um, had a great conversation. And, um, and so after I left, uh, she actually reached back out to me and said would you like to come up for an open house? Mm-hmm. And so um, and actually myself and uh, the friend I was with and so she flew both of us up here to come to an open house mm-hmm. um, Had a, an amazing time, you know It's just it's kind of awe-inspiring being you know at Yale and 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 coming from the small town I came from you know, it was never really like oh, that's that's a possibility. It was never that's never crossed my mind mm-hmm. Um and so I had a really good time, but it went back and it was like, oh, you know, it's maybe, but uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. And um, but she kept in touch with me through the rest of my junior year and through my entire senior year. And um, really, another really interesting experience I had connected to the Society of American Foresters was um, uh, in 2005, 2000. I think it was 2004, 2005. There was a Forest Service Centennial. And so uh, back in in its early inception, the U.S. Forest Service had uh, this this um, this massive forester's like meeting about the nation's forests. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was kind of like a forest, pre- forest Congress, the National Forest Congress or something of that nature. Yes. And so it was this big meeting to have all these different entities that were going to be, that are impacted by the national forest. So academia, businesses, research, industry, all these folks would come in, politicians. And there's this whole discussion about the use and the importance of national forests and, and how do you chart where you go, and so um, they were recreating that meeting for the Forest Service Centennial, um, and one of the sessions they had was around a young professionals panel, um, but they were limiting, they, they really tried to limit actual Forest Service employee participation, and so it was really partners recommending folks to sit on these different panels, and so um, some folks at SAF reached out to me and asked if I'd be willing to sit on this young professionals panel which was extremely humbling mm-hmm. um and so i i agreed to it and um it was it was quite the experience and um you know there with there were representatives from i think it was earth justice uh, girl scouts club of america wow. they're just different organizations that had sent representatives to be on this panel of of young leaders that would talk about their experiences and where they see you know that that the next hundred years was kind of the, the theme of the uh-huh. event and um so it was it was unnerving to ha- to to have the opportunity to stand up in front of four hundred of the most influential people in the profession and give remarks and um, and that panel was actually we were told multiple times was the only panel that received stand- a standing ovation throughout mm. the entire event wow. um, so and of course there were representatives from FES there mm. and uh, so it was it was interesting because when I called. Emily, we had developed a good friendship and told her about this event. Her response was, you need to apply to go to grad school right now. <laughs> um, and, and it was this whole concept of like, this is where you have you know, you know, have this moment that that people know who you are and all these different things. And so it was it was kind of like, if you're gonna do it, this is gonna be one of your best times to do it. Then I'd been out of school for about a year, a little over a year, I think at that time. And so by the time I had actually started, it would be a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did and I was accepted and so, fall of, it was, must have been like 2004, so fall of 2005, um, here I am at FES. And um, quite the, definitely quite the change. Um, by far one of the more interesting realities being from a relatively small town in Florida, and, and even having gone to the University of Florida, um, I, I had a roommate that was a Yale undergrad uh, student who was going into a fifth year in, in graduate program. Mm-hmm. And he was just touring me around New Haven and he took me to coffee, and mm-hmm. uh, the the little- um,
1: Can you tell them what coffee is?
0: Coffee is like, a, he was like, this is where the grad students hang out basically, but it was this little like coffee shop that's actually called coffee, mm-hmm. um, and so you can get coffee, tea, you know, it's it's got a kind of a lounge space that allows folks to just kind of hang out. It's pretty and, nice. Um, mm-hmm. And really nice space to just get everything from actually get your coffee to actually just have kind of like a different conversations, things, and just hang out with folks, and mm-hmm. so, um, went to coffee. We were standing there kind of just in the doorway, and I was just looking around. I was like, this is, you know, this is really interesting. It's a really neat space, and um, when I turned all the way to the left, there was a small couch, and there were two um, young female students who were were kissing, Mm -hmm. and, you know, there was nothing in my mind that felt like something was wrong with that, but I, I paused in that moment, and it was very real for me that I'm like, I'm no longer in Mariana, Florida. Like, I'm no longer in Jackson County. Like, this is, this is, I, my world is so different now than what it has been for these first, you know, 20 some odd years of it, that all of a sudden I'm in this place where, where, where this type of relationship is, is, is accepted and understood and respected. Mm-hmm. And, and that hasn't hadn't been my experience from where I had grown up. Yes, um, and and so it was just it was just one of those kind of enlightening moments that I'm in a very different place and that my experiences are going to be very different in, in a lot of ways possibly than what they had been, mm-hmm. um, and and you know it's like I didn't stare just kind of turned back and it just you know came became part of the day but it was that that image still sits in my mind and my thought process in mm-hmm. that moment you know, I like guess is is, is this, I can see it today just like I did you know um, now almost
1: 15 years ago. Do, can I, I just want to jump? Can do you think that. When you saw that, and then it's almost like a switch went on, or mm-hmm. so, you know something went off, like, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore. Pretty or, much, yep. you know. Oh, I am literally in a different place, and I just I have a question about. But then what did that mean for you? Like, so then does that mean that you had to change? This, does does mean you know? And we're both black men, you mm-hmm. know. We're both from the south, from the dirty south, as we say, deep south. You know when that happened you know uh, and you saw you know two beautiful people you know doing that like, you know but what else like I'm in a different place is there something that said I got to do something different now or Is there something that just says like hmm maybe I got to adjust or something or just curious
0: it wasn't so much that I felt like I had to do it wasn't that I had to do something different mm-hmm. I think it was more so around the opportunity that I I could live differently Because being from where we're from Mm -hmm. um, there's that whole reality of like everybody talks about everybody Mm -hmm. and um, and so there is a certain there's a certain face or armor that you put on to to be successful and to move through those circles because you you know in certain ways you are being watched and people talk about you and that has impacts not just for you but people around you and um, so I was raised by a single mother and even at a very young age, I was very conscious of the fact that I didn't want, I knew, I recognized her struggle to raise two sons as a single mother. Mm-hmm. I did not want to add to that burden. And so being very conscious of what I said and what I did and how I did it was mm-hmm. a part of how I lived my life. And I think that seeing that when I first, as one of my first visual pieces of being here in New Haven and being at Yale, um, I think it was, in some ways, it was almost a permission to just be myself and I didn't have to be guarded um, Mm. from the standpoint of this this concept of um, if you're not guarded then then your business is in the streets Mm -hmm. you know and it's just like no one's paying attention to you so you can Mm -hmm. just be who you are whatever that might look like
1: wow now I have to say wow because since I've been up here I'm sorry I'm from Birmingham Alabama yep and I can even admit, admit, excuse me, you know, and everyone I'm looking at Chris real quick, Chris, I can admit that since I've been up here, there's for me, there's been somewhat of a, a yep. little bit of a, you know, and uh like a weight is gone or it's like it's almost like a little bit of freedom in a way. And I'll tell you the, the if, if I say it's like the way that I see it differently up here is how people deal with church culture, how people mm. deal with religion being from Birmingham where I'm from, minus what you see on television and maybe the radio, it's only Christian. Like yep. that's, and that's still to this day in 2019, that's all you will hear. And on Sunday, radio stations are all tuned to church. Like that's all you hear. Yep. And you know, so I mean, I grew up, there other part of me that loved church. And then part of me that was like, man, I think I done aged man sitting up in the church service. I think I done aged a year. Man, It's time for us to get out of here. So I come to a place like this well, a lot of what we understand about Christianity in the country, in some ways, actually originated here. You know, just being a Yale, original Bible is in, uh, one of them or, uh, is mm-hmm. in the Beinecke. But at the same time, there's this understanding that there are multiple faiths. Mm-hmm. There's this understanding that, which um, uh, faiths have always been here, right? At least since our existence. And this understanding that you can believe and practice how you believe. You know, people may have their opinions, you know, we still see that, but I see more multi-faith happening here you know, mm. then I did, you know, where, where, where I grew up. So when I came up here, the pressure for me to feel like I have to go to church, and I'm a, and I'm a former pastor, too, was like, it didn't feel the same anymore. It was like, oh, there are people up here who kind of get, I'll say it like this, who get the human aspect of faith, the human aspect of what religion actually is. Like, they know that religion isn't perfect because it was it's human-made, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so we can have these discussions. And I noticed that not everybody, even people who are devout, you know, uh, and, and I'm speaking in general, so it's not true, right? 100. Mm-hmm. percent. But like, they don't hang on the religion as much as they hang on the relationships with people, regardless of. this. I just I just wanted to say that go and it. say it, I, I appreciate how you shared that because in another sense, for me, it, with the faith, that's the thing that I noticed when I was like, I could say to people when they say, "Hey, what church?" Are you? This is when it happened for me. Hey, so what church do you go to? I said, I don't. And, they went, and that was okay. And it was okay. And they were like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Do, do you want to go to one? I said, I'll come visit, sure. Oh, okay. No pressure to attend, it was just like, oh, okay. And so now I, I kind of freely go because there's no pressure and I feel in some ways I get more out of it anyway when I'm there. So I just wanted to say that and say thank you for sharing that. Sure. Okay, so now my next question. Would You being the CEO mm. of SAF, CEO everyone, uh, that's a big position, you know. And you're obviously humble and i'm saying obviously just the way that you talked even about how what you saw there was nothing wrong it was just like oh let me know i can be i can be this i can be me okay cool since you've been the ceo and this is going kind of personal you know um, what you can share have there been challenges you know to um actualize progress mm. um you know, and, and I'm not going to make it about the organization. I'm going mm-hmm. to make it about the discipline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Have you, you know, seen challenges within the discipline um, of
0: forestry? There's there's long standing challenges within the discipline of forestry. I, I think mm-hmm. that you know, and there's and I'll speak to, to one in particular that I know has, has been a long standing discussion, in particular about mm-hmm. SAF. Mm-hmm. And and by far that's the the inter, the, the question of you know, as well as SAF, a, a big umbrella or a little umbrella organization. Mm-hmm. And the mentality around that is, is the, you know, you we go from, you go, look at the name, Society of American yeah, Foresters. So. Where it was started was foundationally by professional foresters. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it's evolved over time, different iterations of, of the Society of American foresters has always had these different aspects of forest management associated with it. You've had, mm-hmm. you know, interest by wildlife biologists, interest by recreationists, soil scientists, hydrologists. Yep. Um, and there's always been this this... This conversation of okay, well, well, are they members? Are they full members? Can they do things? Can they not? And um, and so it's that whole evolution of an organization and and what its purpose and place is and um, and that continues to be very real today. There, there, I've had people who've talked to me and said, you know, well, you know, we should change the name. And you know, there's all those also folks who are just like, if you change the name, you know, I'm I'm done. I'm out. You know, and so and so I I see one of my bigger challenges being, you know what that, what the future of the organization looks like from the standpoint of what the professional, um, who, who's, a, who's a member, who's a professional member, what that looks like, mm-hmm. and how it builds off of that core um, foundation around, um, you know, of the greatest good. You know, that's that's still, that's, mm-hmm. that's there for SAF, just like it is for the US Forest Service, just like it is for FES. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but that's gonna change and that's gonna look different over time. You know, a professional forester, was, was very easily defined 100 years ago, 120 years ago, yes. almost. Yeah, and now it's not the same. You mm-hmm. know, as a profession, we're highly fragmented um, mm-hmm. and very specific, and as far as different technical expertise areas. And one of the things that was really kind of fascinating to me was coming into this role, and it wasn't that it was, again, it wasn't that it was a problem, but it was fascinating to find out, like, there's, you know, there's a society or a professional association for um, utility, utility corridor foresters. And it's just like, the, that group of people has a critical mass that they can start their own professional association. And, it, and it's not to downplay who they are, yeah. but when you think about managing vegetation around power lines, like just the, the, the thought that there's enough folks who do that, that they've created their own space. And, and if that's a reality, then, then again, where how does SAF fit into that, that overarching picture of being this entity that provides the space for everyone who manages vegetation, manages forested landscapes, be they urban, be they very rural, because now there's all these different segmented associations that that dive deep into those areas. How do you provide that overarching space for, for interaction across them? Because the other challenge becomes, with with such a broad profession, you can definitely get into, oh well, you know, the the private industry folks don't like what's happening on federal land, so they're pointing fingers, and vice versa. Right. And, and all of a sudden you've, you've, you've started to, to, to fragment your community. And I think that is one of the biggest things that we have to, that I have to work towards in this job and as an organization, mm-hmm. is no matter what aspect of forestry you take part in, there's a community for you to have safe conversations and respectful conversations with other professionals to develop your own skill set and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to possibly better how organizations work together, like for me, SAF has always been that opportunity to, to almost step away from that career in the US Forest Service and just talk to someone who may work for warehouser or who may work for a state agency mm-hmm. and, and not have that, that bias you know, dictate the conversation. It's just like, what do you think about this? And how does this work? And how do you do it? And, and, and it's that just that place of that exchange of ideas and understanding in that way. It benefits me, but I think it also, again, benefits it benefits the, the the overarching relationship outside of SAF, because now they're like, oh, you work for the Forest Service, but you actually, but you get it, mm-hmm. and that's after a the, and that's a very very different. That's the. that's a whole dynamic where it's just like, well, you just don't get it, like, oh, but you mm-hmm. but you do get it, yeah. and it's that space to create the opportunity of like, yeah, they get it, mm-hmm. they still have their rules that they have to work within, but they get it. Right. Um, so that's what I think about when it comes... That That's one aspect of the community in, in SAF that I, I think is a crucial challenge, and, it, and, it's, a, and it's a big challenge, mm-hmm. um, because there's a, there's a sense of identity that's there. And there's a historic sense of identity, there's the present sense of identity, and there's the, mm-hmm. the future sense of identity. Um, and as we know, the demographics of the country are changing as far as what society looks like. And so if we're, mm-hmm. we are the profession that is serving the public when it comes to forested landscapes, we are gonna to have to start to look a little bit different mm-hmm. to try to meet those needs and, meet, and, and have folks who can understand from various backgrounds. And sometimes that's not just about race or ethnicity, but you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that's about gender identity and gender expression. Sometimes that's yeah. about which part of the country you're from. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so the ability to, to create the conversation that what, what a member what a 50-year member has built mm-hmm. within SAF over mm-hmm. those 50 years, is Mm -hmm. extremely important and it has value Um, and what someone who may be less than five years of being a member of SAF Mm -hmm. what they bring to the table is extremely important and it has value and neither one of them have to discount what the other has done right but the ultimate goal is how do we sustain and how do we grow SAF into the future Mm -hmm. that's what that's what our role is because we provide this value to professional foresters and, and natural resource professionals as well as to society as a whole. And so there's this whole dynamic of, again, we have to get past this place of pointing fingers at each other just because we may do things differently mm-hmm. to this place of understanding that if we don't come together, we'll, spend this pla- we'll stay in the space of being fragmented and less effective.
1: I hope y'all are listening well. I think you just almost gave us a solution <laughs> <laughs> to an issue. Um, you said so much Terry, I mean, but it was, it's, it's easily grabble, you know, mm-hmm. because you broke it down. I want to take some of what you said and just go into a different place for like a couple of minutes. Sure. As you're talking about the discipline of forestry, the professionals within the field, I want to juxtapose that a little bit. I want to juxtapose it with identity. Okay, just just for a moment. Because just as I feel like our discipline, okay, is, I'll put it like this, trying to figure out what it is, what it's going to be to sustain Mm -hmm. the future. When I look at identity, gender identity, Race, age, religion, and in 2019, being black is what being black was when I was growing up. In 2019, being a male is not what being a male was when I was growing up. Even as I mentioned with the religion, being a Christian isn't, you know. Mm -hmm. And so what I find is that I feel that a number of either organizations, groups, communities are going through something similar, okay, where they're trying to figure out who they are. And I think individually, a lot of people are trying to figure out who they are. And what I feel like I notice is when people, I'm going to use the term that you said, let's say, um, you said, for service, let's say I am, identifies as African-American, but I know that I have this other part of who I am. It's like, oh, yeah, you black. Oh, and you get it. Like, you understand mm-hmm. that there's more to you than just that. And I feel like that's the challenge for a lot of people individually when it comes to identity is being able to own, you have a lot of parts of who you are. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily really have to be in conflict with each other if you don't want them to be, okay? But think about where you learned about the identity. Okay, flip that, I just said a couple minutes, back to forestry. How did I learn forestry? Well, I learned traditional forestry. Mm-hmm. So I learned basically plantation forestry. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't learn uh, environmental sustainability so as we understand it today. Yep. Okay, I say it like that because I don't want to say that my professors didn't know what they were doing because I don't agree with that. I went to HBCU too. I think we're the best. Whatever. That's another mm-hmm. conversation. But, Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I just feel like um, I hear people talk about those other disciplines like this sub-disciplines. Yeah. And I'm like, sub? Oh, so you're putting them under. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when they talk about recreation or outdoor recreation, wildlife. And Even like, urban well, forestry. Yeah. And so yeah. I um, thank you for everything you said because you said now there's a critical mass of these folks and they can create their own society. So here's my question. I, I just wanted to just kind of set that up because the question is See, I think that tr- naturally humans are tribal, you know, mm-hmm. like, I like I'm, I'm like hanging out with them, I'm this, I'll say it masculine energy, forestry energy, mm-hmm. academic energy, right? But you said safe conversations. Yep. I'm, I feel like we're having one, even though millions can hear this, but I wonder if it's a solution for people to create a bunch of different organizations and then come together in like this central milieu or environment, or do we need to find a way which I think that's what we're doing, but we're struggling to integrate the so, silos. So I just, I I'll I, I leave that question at that because yeah, he, he's smiling. <laughs> um,
0: so, so I'll, I'll, I'll take a, a, a point of what you said. Okay. And and I'll work through this question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I actually have a question back to you. Okay. Why do why are people travel? Why what? Why are people travel?
1: Why why oh, why are they travel? Uh. I don't know if it's because this is how they're raised, you know, like to, okay, so when I say tribal, I mean like they have maybe parts of themselves that if I'm with someone else who shares it with me, I feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I feel safe. I I feel like I can probably even say things that I wouldn't typically say, Mm -hmm. you know, in the midst of other people. So then I think that when, and this is my, I think that when that gets challenged, I think that's when people become tribal. I really do. I think that Mm -hmm. when it's like, oh, you can't do this, can't do this anymore, now I gotta turn Mm -hmm. to the identity. Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes everything that what, I guess you're saying that I can't do. And Mm -hmm. I think that's when people really become tribal. Uh, And so I think that until people are just comfortable, I think as long as people feel comfortable, safe, good, I'm gonna say in some ways empowered, Mm -hmm. they can just be among a lot of folks. But I think it's when they get challenged in something that's really critical to who they are, and it's like, oh, wait, no, I'm not going to do that cuz I'm black. Yep. No, I'm not going to do that because I'm a male. No, I'm not going to do that cuz I'm from the south or something, you know.
0: So, so I I completely agree with you, but I'll I'll take it to a, what I believe is a bit more of a base level. Okay. And that is the reason, those same reasons that you were saying that people are trial is the same reason that social media is is successful. And mm. it's simply being it's easier to work with it's easier to connect to people mm-hmm. that are similar. So, mm. Mm-hmm. That can be similar thought processes. They're going to be. There can be similar experiences. It can be a similar, you know, gender identity, gender expression. Mm-hmm. All these different things that we talk about that that are that in essence are how we start to put ourselves in those silos. Yeah. Creates that tribal mentality of okay, how do you come together around those things? And so mm-hmm. that that's like, and, and just like you mentioned, the mm-hmm. biggest challenge becomes what we see I think as, as a cultural change that's, that's more pronounced now with social media and mm-hmm. that is when someone says something you don't agree with and it goes mm-hmm. to the place of it's not a disagreement, I don't like you as a person now. I don't, I, yeah. I, all of a sudden I can throw away our entire relationship, that's our entire history to each other, you know, yeah. connected to each other mm-hmm. because of this one thing that I've found out that we don't agree to mm-hmm. and that's because I've found 50,000 people that think the same way that I do. Mm. And so this it's, mm. so it's so the, the 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 base concept of being tribal is it's easy. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like you said, it's safe. Yeah. And the reason it's safe is because it's easy. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 concept that you're not going to have a whole lot of disagreement. The concept that like, you know, I can sit here with you and it was the same when mm-hmm. I was a student here, there was a, there was a handful of us that were from, you know, Alabama, I was from Florida, a guy from Mississippi, mm-hmm. and you yeah. know, we would sit around the table and it was it was actually really fascinating to watch where you may have two students who were from Peru and they would sit there and they would, they would talk in, um, and, um, and I can't even think of the, the, you know, it wasn't Spanish, it was, um, it had come to me, but, oh, no, a different language. yeah, di- okay. in a different language and mm-hmm. people would kind of joke around like they didn't understand what they were saying, and then, like, there's these five students from the southeast mm-hmm. that would start, like, joking and laughing and, and, and talking <laughs> like we normally talk and talking, you know, and, yeah, you and, and sit there, and, like, you know, you, you start talking about, like, Harlem Nights as, mm-hmm. as a group of African-American students oh. in a space where people are like, what are you talking about? You know, and it's just like, no, that's a stereotype that all black people have seen, like certain movies. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, it is. But it's also probably like 90 percent true, because that was the mm-hmm. only thing you could see where someone looked like you on a movie screen. That's right. And that there was no recognition oh. of that. But it was that whole concept mm-hmm. of that's easy.
1: Uh-huh.
0: hmm That's the I easy gotcha. part. Yep. That's that's easier than saying I'm African-American, mm-hmm. but I like Japanese. I like anime. Mm-hmm. You know that's yeah. not as easy a connection, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, mm-hmm. But but it's this whole concept of like how do we how do we integrate across the silos? And so bringing it back mm-hmm. to forestry mm-hmm. and forest management is, you know, we're already in this interim place of spinning off these different, um, very very you know niche type organizations that are focused on everything from like big landowners to smaller landowners yeah. to to utility foresters to uh, arborists to all these different all these different niche organizations. Mm-hmm that serve a very important purpose Mm -hmm. but it is it does call the question how how is how is that how does that become integrated how does it become a broader conversation how do you have the opportunity like i said to have a safe space Mm -hmm. and i think that when i look at it i come at it from the standpoint of this um no matter if you're a utility forester no matter if you're an arborist or an urban forester or gis forester or i mean there's all these different titles out there i mean i've, I've even met people that were irs foresters or foresters for banks what? because of property and realty and valuation and all these things and they literally the irs has, has foresters like who you know i didn't know that, I didn't um, know that the fact that the you know the turkey federation is hiring foresters the nature conservancy and land trust is hiring foresters and so for me, at the end of the day, it's about forests and it's about managing forests and it's about foresters and the benefits that come from it. Mm-hmm. And and if we can move past all these different things that we feel are what divides us, mm-hmm. to actually say that at, at the end of the day, forests are important mm-hmm. and that there's a space for folks to talk about the importance of forests and the vast spectrum mm-hmm. of what that means mm-hmm. is is where you have that critical space to, to move a profession forward mm-hmm. in, in the, in the the optics of society, mm-hmm. yep. because right now we're the unknown profession,
1: mm. and we've
0: been the unknown profession for a long time. Yeah. And for the most part, again speaking as far as a stereotype, most foresters are introverts, so they like being the unknown profession. Yeah, do, but yeah. Yeah. as far as su- survival and success as a profession, mm-hmm. we can no longer be in this, you know, in the shadows, mm-hmm. taking care of forests on behalf of people who don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. so. Okay. If nothing else, that becomes that, possibly that that force that starts to pull us together to have these these conversations and these dialogues and to move mm-hmm. forward as a as a as a profession of folks who tend and steward for us.
1: Mm-hmm. So wow, okay, well, uh, well, look here. Okay, listen to Mr. Baker. We we, we got to get ready to wrap it up because <laughs> this is getting good and it's getting dark early anyway. We're in that time. I want to. Uh, I, I think kind of just close out in a in a way of. I realized that when you asked me that question of tribal, right, I realized there's a reason why I didn't go to the base answer. I mm-hmm. didn't go to the foundation answer because for me, it's not easy for me to be tribal. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to that statement of you're this but you get it. Okay, I, I've lived the life of getting it. Yep. Most of my life. I haven't been able to just to be, oh yeah, you black and then I get everything black. No, I'm always the one who is the outlier to some about me. Why don't you know, fit in 100% forestry. It's like, yeah, you're a forester, but you like genetics and education. So when I'm even in that space, it's like, oh, you what know, you I have this different as a hip hop artist, like you're a hip hop artist, but you don't curse. <laughs> and you have to talk about forest and you me, man, what's, you know, you like, so I don't fit in. And so I think that, I think that's why, even the job that I'm in now, I think that's why I've, in a lot of ways, I tell people and people are telling me that I'm the job, because to me, that's what humans are struggling with. Just like forces need to get past that, I wish humans would get to a point where we put humanity at the top instead of just the things that make my group feel good or make my community feel good, or make my, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I, I I take what you're saying about the discipline. I actually think that that's something, it's gonna be different, human agency, but that's something that we need to do. Yep. That if we saw like a force with for humans and we saw that as, me and you, Chris, are like each other, so I, I try to just make sure I'm reaching across and make sure it's easier for him. I think it would be a lot differently than when he's doing it back to me. Now it's like, how are we gonna do each other helping each other? And I think that if we could get to that place, it would be a different planet and it would be a different relation. So you're an important one here. I wanted you to know what what other final thoughts do you have? That that was my final thought. I'm let Mr. Baker had this one. I'm done. Um, <laughs> actually, I actually mean the deacon's last name. Baker. Growing up in church, I respect the Baker name. <laughs> you know,
0: final final thoughts are always a, a kind of an interesting thing. How do you wrap something up? What is what is that that pivotal piece? Mm-hmm. And um, and so I will say I have two final thoughts. And the first one will, will definitely lean itself towards the, the the concept of working across those boundaries and those silos and and not focusing on our differences to make ourselves make us special, but it's focusing on the things we have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that comes back to this the, an African proverb that someone told me years ago, and that was, you know, if you want to go far, well, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, you know. And it's you can achieve a whole bunch of stuff by yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just in knowing that it's it's it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy um, to to show up and engage people in a real way. And and where you may not see in an instant a commonality, it doesn't mean that one doesn't exist. Um, and, and if there there are things that that you don't have in common, that doesn't mean that you completely extinguish a relationship over, mm-hmm. you know, you can simply just disagree, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's, that's, a, that's a core piece for me. And then I think the second one, you know, related to the role that I'm in right now, mm-hmm. is actually probably about a month ago I was I was, did a very very short podcast interview, It was a one question interview, and actually ended up being two questions for me. Okay, but it was it was by um, two African American gentlemen um, in in Maryland, okay. and as they kind of couched it, they were like, "This is an urban podcast," okay. And, um, and I was on a leadership panel, so they were, they were asking these leaders how they define leadership. Okay. And, uh, and just a simple one question. So I walk up to the, to the table, similar to this, mm-hmm. and they had me sign a little like, release so they could, you know, my name and all that kind of stuff. And they were like, you know, write your name and, and write your name of your organization. So I gave it to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the gentleman looked back at me and he kind of looked at the paper, he looked at me again and he said, so, um, I have, I have this feeling that you don't work for Subaru, so tell me what a Forester does. <laughs> and yes, they got And,
1: it. and, got and it. in that moment,
0: <laughs> you know, that moment yeah. resonated with me mm. in, in, a, in various ways. One, I laughed, but two, when I told him just, just a one minute snippet, I was like, look outside that window. Mm. That space is a space that there's likely a Forester who helps manage that space and write a management plan and make sure that that space meets your needs from the standpoint of either clean water, clean air, or the opportunity to just walk through a park-like setting on campus. Mm-hmm. That's what a forester does. Everything from the city to being out in a rural area to, to growing trees almost in the form of, of of a crop so that you have wood to build a house. That's what a forester does. And so if there's anything that resembles success for me in this job and how I move forward, I think about that particular statement and I think about my ability to help SAF be the entity that helps people see the foresters for the trees. Mm. Because I've, I've been in conversations where they're like, oh, well, different you know, major companies are talking about building mass timber buildings for their campuses. And, no okay. one, and, and, and there's a good chance that there's not a single forester around that table, like, where's the wood coming from? How is that mm-hmm. forest being managed? We have mm-hmm. all these conversations about local sourcing and wanting to understand, you know, what the. F- I want to know, you know, there. I think it was. I met someone from uh, BASF, and they're mm-hmm. talking about they've developed this E3 cotton, where you can literally find out through your blue jeans about the family that farm, that family farm that the cotton comes from for your jeans. Oh. And exactly. And so the, in this in this era of wanting to know about, you know. Um, supply chains and and processes and how things come and where it comes from and what that looks like and developing more of a connection to farms or rural places or or things of that nature. Mm -hmm. We're in this place of like, people use all these wood products, but they have no idea about the people that help make that possible. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I recently kind of came up with this statement in my head, you know, the ability to see foresters for the trees. And and I think that if I can if I can move that needle even a little bit in this role, that'll be success.
1: I'm gonna quote Mr. Baker again. The ability to see the forest for the trees. Forest stirs. Forest stirs for the trees. For the trees. Oh, correct my quote. Mm-hmm. The ability to see the forest stirs for the trees. Yep. I think Mariana is proud. Huh? I think FAMU. I hope is proud because I know I am. I think Florida is proud. And I know Yale is. I mean, shoot, they, we, brought, we, we, we asked you to come back to us, and this is more than once. And so, um, Brother Baker, yeah, on this podcast, we, we chill. I want to say thank you for, uh, for your presence. Thank you for uh, sharing your brilliance, because that's exactly what it is. And even being in the fight, you know, uh, it doesn't always feel like a fight, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, but in the struggle, in the uphill struggle of helping people to see foresters for the trees. Because I know that uh, I still want people to see me in that light as well. So I thank you. Chris, you got anything? Nothing on my end. All right, okay. Well, uh, everyone, we want to thank you for listening to Heartwood. Again, this is Thomas Rashad Easley, Chris Perkins, and we're sitting here with the outstanding CEO of Society of American Foresters, Mr. Terry Baker. We thank you again, sir, for coming. Thank All you. Right. Thanks for having me. Y'all tune in for the next one. We'll be back in touch with you. Thank you. is a production of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies in New Haven, Connecticut. Our producer, engineer, and editor is Chris Perkins, a joint degree student between both the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies as well as the Yale School of Management, where he is getting a Master's of Environmental Management and a Master's in Business Administration. I am Thomas Richard Easley. We'll see you next time. Thank you.